This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Hey, folks. Quality of our productions is important with us. And so when technology doesn't cooperate and you get less than fabulous results, well, I feel led to ask for forgiveness with some of the audio in this episode. That being said, I want to encourage you all to listen because the topic we discuss is so important. And our guest, Iggy Perillo, is simply amazing at breaking it all down. Iggy's a leadership educator who cultivates leaders who are building the habit of emotionally intelligent leadership to shift culture and make the world a better place. She discusses the value of emotional intelligence both in the workplace and in our personal lives and shares how we can all use it to create deeper, more impactful relationships and results. So get ready for an amazing discussion. Let's get started. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. Welcome back to another fantastic holiday edition of your Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm Scott Judy, your host. And with me, you love him, Dan Coonrod. Ho, ho, ho. He's such a good little boy. Oh, there you go, Dan. Wow. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. What's up, Scott? How you doing? Have you been a good little boy? Santa said that you were a good little boy. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to go with Santa on this one. Uh, he is the expert. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've been pretty good. I've been fair to Midland, one might You've say. Fair to Midland. <laughs> get that in. See, there's your early holiday gift from me, which I think is really awesome. So, okay, how was your holiday? So, how was your turkey day? It was a little stressful. Uh, just, uh, we had, my niece was in the hospital planned but you know crazy crazy holiday stuff but good other than that hiccup (laughs) great well i ate way too much food and uh now now i gotta go to the gym which is a fantastic thing so that's great i'm also someone who well i will find out how much food you may or may not have eaten uh but you love her the duchess of design abby dawson everybody Abby. Hey there. How's it going? Really good. You're excited and you're happy. And you want to tell everybody why you're excited and happy? Yeah, because I'm an Alabama fan and Iron Bowl was yesterday and it was a heck of a good game. And we won in fourth overtime, which is just bonkers crazy. But yeah, good game. 
Yeah, it was a good game. And I was out at the cigar bar having a cigar because that's the kind of thing that we do. And you can all judge if you want. And yeah, lots of screaming and yelling because a lot of Alabama fans down here. I was watching my hapless University of Minnesota Gophers beat all over the Wisconsin Badgers and take home Paul Bunyan's axe. Yeah, deep cut for any Minnesota graduates out there. But um, other than that, we're good. How was your turkey day? Turkey day was good. I ate lots of food. I'm not embarrassed to say it was a lot of food. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the, that's the whole uh, gist of why we do that. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I will say that now, well, Halloween's my favorite holiday, but I think that Thanksgiving is becoming slowly becoming my second favorite holiday simply because it's just a good time to get with people that you care about and eat food. It is. It's and, a lot of fun. And that is awesome. I mean, what's more <laughs> awesome than that? I don't have to go and, you know, buy presents for people I don't care about or anything like that. It's just totally great. So awesome. We're glad you're here. Folks, I am super wicked excited because we have a very special guest with us today. And uh, we're going to get to know all about her uh, in a little segment that we call What's Your Deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? Iggy. Hello. Sorry. I, <laughs> I missed my cue already. Ugh. No, you were, you were right on cue. Okay. You're, you're fantastic. A little behind the curtain. We've been having technical difficulties all morning long, so God knows what's going to happen. But you were great. You were fantastic. Okay, right on front well, cue. Everybody, uh, Miss uh, Iggy Perillo is, is with us. Uh, Iggy, what's your deal? My deal is that I'm a leadership educator, and I love helping people lead better. Right now, I've moved to the the virtual world, as many of us have. But conveniently, handily, I live here in Portland, Oregon, which is home of the reigning world champion roller derby team, the Wheels of Justice. And so I get to work with them and um, hang out at a smelly roller derby rink every, you know, once in a while. Not too often, but okay, you know, that's what I do with my spare That's time. awesome. <laughs> yeah. The Wheels... Of Justice. Yeah, that's the name of the all-star team. The whole league is called the Rose City Rollers because Portland, Oregon, where I'm at, is the Rose City. So they're the Rose City Rollers. They're all-stars of the the world champions are the Wheels of Justice. Derby hasn't happened really for two years. You know, it's been COVID, blah, blah, blah. But uh, yeah, that is my, the sort of in-person-ness is watching people skate every once in a while right now. That is so great. So do the Wheels of Justice have their own hall where they hang out aka hall oh, of justice no they have this big building called the hangar which resembles an a hangar like an airplane hangar a little bit but that's where they hang out Not i think that's still you, pretty cool yeah <laughs> no one calls it the hall of justice they also the the league has other teams there so it's sort of a shared um shared space with many of the derby leagues or derby teams in town and there's a junior league there's younger people and super young kids and so it's very busy space I cannot stop smiling. I, this is great. Like, you know, I know it's going to get even better from here, but I kind of don't know how. So that's all. <laughs> Peak early. That's all I'm here for. Just hey, blast right? out there in the first couple minutes. Coast the rest of the way. And we're done. All right, everybody. It's been a great <laughs> hey, week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. No, I think that's really great. Um, talk to us a little bit about your learning journey and your leadership journey. My learning and leadership journey. Great. Uh, I have been in the field of leadership education for over 20 years now, and I started as a wee young fry helping 
even smaller, younger fries jump out of trees and go on expeditions and play outside in epic ways and really learn to manage themselves better in sort of challenging situations and then progressed on to working with slightly older fries and slightly older fries. So eventually I'm working with adults out there in the woods, helping them lead and communicate and be really good teammates together when you can't really hide behind email or a text or, you know, sort of blow things off because either you get from here to the other side of the lake or you don't. Like, it's very obvious <laughs> you cook dinner or you are hungry. And we did not go hungry. So we managed to get it all together and make it happen. But it was became this very immediate way to see leadership in action. If people are communicating well, your boat is going to go in a straight line. If you're not, your canoe is going to, who knows where you're going to end up, all over the place. You could take the one-mile route across the lake or like the seven-mile route, just weaving all over the place. So it was really a great immediate way to foster my sense of how leaders can function really well in unique styles too. If you're just screaming at everyone all day, obviously not going to work super great for the rest of your team, not going to be a really positive experience for them. But I've also seen groups of seventh graders crush it, be so efficient, so fast, so smooth, so dialed. And I've seen groups of college kids, I've seen groups of adults just crumble and no one knows what's happening. Everything's all over the place, a giant train wreck. So it's, it doesn't have to do with age. It really has to do with intention and ability to like put yourself out there and lead and be authentic in different ways and master your craft. That is, that is really great. I have a quick question. So did you ever do the, I'm sure you have, like if you get different people going across, let's take your lake example, right? So you get different people going across the lake and one team's just crushing it. And the other team is like spinning in circles. Um, do you ever like swap up the leaders and put the the crushing it leader in with the spinning in circles team and see what happens? I think it's an opportunity for them to stay where they are and lead from there where they're at. So okay. Sometimes I'd say not all, not often. I think if you if every time someone can't paddle their boat in a straight way, you take them out of the stern of the canoe. This person in the stern is the person doing primarily steering, right? If every right. time they can't steer in a straight line, you pull them out and pull them out, how are they ever going to learn to steer in a straight line? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I was kind of, Jocko Willink is one of my, mm. I, I just love him. I listen to him all the time. And he was talking about the whole boat crew thing. If you heard that, no bad teams, just bad leaders. And he would do that. He would take a, a winning team and, um, you know, put them with a bad leader and, and flip-flop, right? And then yeah, what, right, we, right, right. what we would always see is that those teams that, struggled under great leadership always rose to the occasion. So I think that that's what I was hoping that, sure. that we would chat about. But I love your other idea of like, hey, listen, if I can't get this, you know, um, pulling me out is not going to help me, which I, I, which think, I think uh, is a great Yeah. And I think thing. we're talking about different things a little bit. If you don't have the skills to do your job, I need to help you right. get the skills to do your job. If you don't have the leadership to do your job, obviously you need better leadership to do your job. And I'd say most of the time, my people needed better skills. <laughs> they really needed better leadership. <laughs> they just need better skills. I, and that's like I, the leader's job is to train those too. I think that's a great segue into um, what we're going to be talking about this week, which is all about leadership and learning and emotional intelligence. So without further ado, everybody, let's go ahead and dive into our topic of the week. Okay, emotional intelligence and leadership and learning. Iggy, what's the deal with this thing called uh, emotional intelligence? What is it and why is it important? Uh, emotional intelligence is the way, is 
like the most simple definition is understanding how you feel and understanding how other people feel around you. That's the straightforward part. It seems pretty obvious. Oh, I know how I feel. I know how other people feel. However, if you ask most people how they feel, they will say one of three things, happy, sad, angry. And we're people. We have a lot more to us than happy, sad, angry, right? Are any of you right now happy, sad, or angry? Would you say? Or you are advanced people, though. I bet you have much more advanced emotional awareness for yourself right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I, like I don't know answer. if I would say advanced people. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're kind of catching us. This, I think, the three of us think this is like the best part of our week a lot of times. Oh. So uh, <laughs> I would say happy. Uh, does fit me today, but maybe that's that's me just uh, falling into one of those three where I where I usually well, am. And so I would ask: Are you happy? Are you elated? Are you over the moon? Are you thrilled? Are you excited? What does happy mean to you? Um, I think happy means I want to be here. I want to participate. Um, invested. Yeah, I think invested is a great way to say it. Yeah, cool. Which is better than happy, right? If I'm like, oh, she's invested, cool. Versus happy, like I got a smile on my face. Like I think there's more to us, but we don't. We we default often to happy, sad, angry. Versus, see, oh, I'm frustrated. Yeah, is that what's happening for you? See, I lo- I love this. I love this. So uh, I get I get teased a lot because you know when people ask me how I'm doing, I usually go, oh, I'm fair to midland, and that's because it's such a wide spectrum, and I don't have to like get specific, and it's way it's it's uh, I think it's more endearing usually than oh I'm good or I'm happy. Uh, and it's also more truthful because I can. It's on a spectrum. I'm somewhere between pretty good to average. <laughs> right, right. Which and I it think becomes, works for you. It becomes it's, it, but it spurs more conversation. It's like, well, tell me more. What's that feel like? And you look upbeat. You look like positive. You're not like fair to midland. Like, uh, like everything could be. You know, the could be worse side of it. So yeah, and I think it also becomes this default answer, like the have a nice day or all that other kind of stuff. Like, how's it going? I'm good. Right. Well, talk to me about that. What it, you know, what is, what does that mean? Uh, so I love the question of like, what does that mean? And I also love the, like, sometimes we can get into these habits of saying, well, I'm okay, or I'm good, but we're really not right. So like, I really don't want to talk about how I'm really feeling because I just don't feel like it or don't feel safe about it. And so I think that that understanding of how I'm feeling and then how do I translate into how I talk about how I'm feeling is really important. And Scott, it's so funny you say that when, when I was, um, trained on how to wait tables another lifetime ago, one of the most effective things somebody taught me was when you go to check on your tables, don't ask, is everything good? Because people will always say it's good, even when it's not, and then you can't fix problems that are there. So when I would go up to the tables, I was taught to say, how is everything, which is a completely different question, um, and much more effective. Yeah. It gets into like more of like how you feel about it. Like what are you, what's actually happening here versus I can just say fine or say good and, you know, kind of write it off. So this is emotional intelligence level one, right? Like understanding how you feel more than the blanket statement. And we do feel happy and sad and angry, but there's more to it usually underneath. And I don't know if um, you've spent time with sort of the, the helping professionals will always tell you that anger is a secondary emotion. And I never really knew what that meant. I'm like, no, people are just angry. They just get mad. But if you look, like, I think this is what it means is if you dig a little deeper, like, well, what's making you angry? Is it because you're frustrated? Is it because you feel hurt? Is it because you feel, you know, put upon whatever it is? I think there are different, those deeper levels matter a lot. So emotional awareness is having that sort of fine tune awareness of yourself, but also other people. And this is where we, again, Oh, they're either happy, sad, or angry. Great, whatever. I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a bad job. You know, we sort of, it's easier to simplify. Everyone's fair to Midland. Amazing. You know, like I'm like doing amazing work out here. 
But the reality is the more we can fine tune how we're feeling and understand that, the more we're aware of and tuned into how other people are feeling. And that's what emotional intelligence is. And then working with people in terms of who they actually are, where they actually are. I'm not just leading a bunch of robots around the place. I'm talking, I'm working with humans, how they feel matters because how they feel affects what they're going to do, how they communicate and how we're all going to function together as a group. Nikki, can I ask you, one of my favorite characters when I think about emotional intelligence um, is Michael Scott from The Office. And what, uh, like that, if, if there was something to describe, like what his character arc goes through, I think emotional intelligence is maybe it. Like he's learning about himself. He's learning how to relate to other people. And that's kind of what his character is all about. What do you think about like leaders who like clearly where he starts from is being so detached from how he feels about himself. And that as he gets to know himself better throughout the show, he's becomes a better boss. But uh, wh- where do you think people can start? If you're, if you're a Michael Scott, what, what do you do? <laughs> right? And I think this is what it, it trips up a lot of leaders. If I'm just cruising along, bulldozing through things, people get trampled on the side. People don't for- function well. Teams don't work together. There's not a lot of trust often because People don't feel like they're being recognized and seen as who they are, which how you feel is a part of who you are. So if we're ignoring all of that, I'm ignoring part of who you are. Our team's not going to work together well. We're not going to trust each other. Blah, blah, blah. It's terrible. So yeah, this is welcome to the world of leadership education for me, which is how do we get people to be more aware of themselves? And there's, I mean, there are lessons, there are activities, there are exercises I run people through. There's this great uh, resource. If you just head out to the Google and hit feelings wheel by Caitlin Robin, you'll get this beautiful wheel of like 70 different emotions. And it starts from the beginning, the middle of like sort of the core basic ones, like the characters from that movie Inside Out and like branches out to more and more finer, finer details. So awareness is always a great place to start whenever you're trying to learn something. Like we don't even know what we don't know sometimes. So once we're aware, we're like, oh, there's more out there. There's more I can learn. What are the ways that this is can be present for me? And then after some level of awareness, building those habits, building habits for taking action on that awareness, right? So you can't just be aware of something and be like, yeah, I know that, no problem. Like you have to actually use these skills. And sometimes it really depends on the person, right? People, emotional awareness is this huge spectrum. And some people are on this like really beautiful arc of like, oh yeah, wait, I became aware. Now I can like name three more emotions that I have. And now I can like see these in other people. And now I can communicate better. And that's great. But in reality, we're all up and down all over the place because we have different experiences here and there. We're doing different things. And so how to give people the right experience, but also the right support to enact change or enact growth and learning is the million dollar question. I think it's a little, it's pretty nuanced for different people. It's the big picture. After this, the core education part of like, have some knowledge, cool. Now let's move on to application. It becomes nuanced. One of the things I think that we've all kind of experienced in the last couple of years, um, we've seen um, a rise in focus on emotional intelligence EQ, especially in leadership. Could you talk a little bit about um, your thoughts on that and then how the workplace and even the uh, learning environment that that we create, it, it has changed to where strong EQ from our leaders or facilitators is so crucial? I think we're still seeing the fallout from it not being done well, to be honest with you. It's, I think, when people talk about the great resignation, why are people resigning? Oh, they don't relate to their workplace in a lot of different levels. And there's this sort of classic cliche that people get hired for the benefits, but they stay because of their team or their leader or their manager. You know, they stay because of their boss, whatever you know way you want to frame that cliche. But I think it's actually true. How people are leading affects whether people are going to stay, stick around or not. And so I think there has been this 
a lot of lip service, I would say, to emotional intelligence and EQ, and it's very popular, and you can probably Google 400 different like EQ self-assessments out there. I don't know. But the reality is, like, once if you don't put anything into action, a million people are going to resign. You're going to have huge churn in your organization. Nothing, No one's going to stick around. And you're literally just not going to be as productive. We know that once we have, if you have people turning over constantly, unless you are, unless that's part of your business model, you're not going to grow into a much more creative or do any work that's really innovative in different ways because you're just turning through people constantly. So I think we're still working on it. I think it has, at least it's come into the sort of popular vocabulary a little bit more. And and that's a great thing. The reality is I don't think it's been, nearly enough has been done to make it from like a, a fun talking point into a realistic way, uh, something we expect from leaders. And I think people are voting with their job. They're just piecing out of those places where that's not, they're not being treated when their leaders don't have emotional intelligence and there's not psychological safety. Sort of those two things together are people aren't having it. You know, I am um, both the best boss I've ever had and the worst boss I've ever had. Both told me people don't leave companies. They leave their bosses. And, uh, you know, it, the message landed so differently <laughs> uh, just because what one boss was just very self-aware, had really good EQ. And like when he said that message, I was like, yeah, and I'm super loyal and I'm here. And like uh, later on, the other boss, when he's just like, oh, you know, people people don't leave companies, they leave their they leave their boss. And like he was so not self-aware. <laughs> and like I was just like, yeah, uh huh. Yep. You wait. And. Uh, I, I love this shift in just like, I don't want to say I love the great resignation, um, but at the same point, I, I love the fact that people are starting to, I think like you said, vote with their jobs, but just be like, Hey, like I don't have that sense of security. I, I got to go. There's better out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I think of the reasons, like there's a difference between leaving for an opportunity and quitting a job, I think. And um, people don't quit jobs unless they're unhappy. They don't quit for just like other reasons. Like I didn't decide I wanted to start getting really good at baking bread at home. So I quit my job. Like, no, you quit your job because someone has made you absolutely miserable or um, can't help you get better. Um, I think that's evidenced in what you guys are talking about. Absolutely. Hey, you talked and mentioned real quick this idea of psychological safety. Could you go ahead and do a little bit deeper dive? What What is that and why is it so important uh, for uh, leadership and education today? For sure. The psychological safety, the term was created by this woman named Amy Edmondson. And she was a researcher who went to look at as sort of like a I think a graduate student or PhD student, she was looking at how communication flowed within hospital floors and wings and basically smaller departments within hospitals, right? And so some of them, she was originally looking at um, error rates and survival rates of people on different floors. And so you could compare two hospitals about the same size, different places, similar floors. You know, they're both a, whatever, an acute care ward, but some people would have higher survival rates than another one, like literal, like people are surviving, faring better. And so she's like, oh, what is going on here? And it became this, she went to look at survival rates or um, like health rates coming out of these wards and found that it was actually, the problem was communication rates within those different departments and the, within those floors, between the doctors, between the nurses, between, you know, the administration, all the different pieces. There's tons of communication that happens within a, a hospital floor. And then she realized it's not just the communication, it's how people are feeling like they can communicate. Because if you can imagine 
sort of a hospital system, there's a lot of hierarchy that's involved too. Like, well, this is my job. This is your job. It's very segmented, very hierarchical, very sort of pyramid style, um, sort of old school organizational form. And so if people at the the literal bottom of the pyramid couldn't say something that would, you know, didn't feel comfortable, like they could be like, hey, this seems weird. This doesn't seem right. I know it's not my job, but this thing seems a little bit off over here. When people couldn't say that, the whole floor, wing, whatever department fared worse, right? So psychological safety is broadly speaking, that ability that everyone within a or group organization team has feels recognized and like they can contribute, you know, sort of across the board, whatever they think is important, whatever they think is valuable to that group, and that whatever they contribute is heard and taken in and accepted. That doesn't mean there aren't bad ideas, obviously, but if you have a janitor sweeping the floor, be like, hey, this machine seems unplugged. Everyone's like, shut up, you're a janitor. And, you know, that can be really important out there. But on the flip side, if you have someone like that, you know, shut up, you're just a janitor, happens in a lot of different sort of organizations they look at this in terms of plane crashes this is a huge part of study of plane crashes for a long time like why some planes crash when you know within a certain cockpit team they didn't want to listen to the second officer who's like you know this light's flashing over here and they're like you know pipe down we're flying you know whatever it is and so psychological safety valuing the people in that space and valuing what they have to offer and making sure that they feel comfortable offering what they have to offer and that's what psychological safety means it's hugely important you can just sort of imagine that hospitals are going to fare better where everyone's working together toward these common goals and feels like they can contribute toward them you know i i love i love that idea and i i think it's so integral to not just like good workplaces but like good teams, uh, I was I was a new leader and I had taken over a team, and I, I think there was a lot of like box checking, and so I, I think I was a few weeks in, maybe even a month, and I realized that anytime I said something, they're like, "Okay, cool, we'll do that," and I I was like I was like, "No, like guys, we, we can't do that. Like I'm one person, and sometimes I'm dumb, so like I, I need you guys to like always chime in." And they were like, okay, cool. And sure enough, a couple of weeks went by and it was still like, okay, cool. We'll do it. We'll do it. And so I remember one day I was like, I just came up with just the worst possible plan I could come up with. And I was like, this is what I think we should do. And they kind of sighed and went, okay, cool. And I was like, no, not cool. That was a terrible <laughs> idea. Why would you guys let us do that? Like, this is terrible. I was like, we're a team. We're all doing this together. I was like, guys, when you see something wrong, say something. Like, we're all going to make mistakes and we're all here doing our best. Like, that's that's what I believe. And the difference it made, uh, like every time I have a team, it's like one of those things where I just tell them like, hey, no matter what it is, speak up, say something. Even if you're worried you're going to be seen as like being negative or whatever, nope, this is a safe space. Just talk it through, even if you just got a vent. But like we're all in this together. So I love that idea. It's so integral to just so much. Yeah. One of the best work relationships I've ever had. Um, it's with a friend of mine and people are always surprised when they, they ask, how do you, why do you guys work so well together? I said, cause we disagree about like everything, but through that, we always find like the best solution, the best answers, the best product, but people are always surprised. They're like, they think that because we work well together, we must always agree. Or we are always on the same page. No, we look at everything differently. We almost always have like big disagreements about how to approach something or how to solve a problem but we always talk through it. Um, and luckily, like we just somehow found each other and we were able to do it. And a lot of it's based on friendship and trust, but um, yeah, that it's, it's 
unbelievably effective when you can work through things with people and not just check a box. <laughs> yeah. One of the sayings, and I think we've talked about this before that I like to use as far as creating an environment where people work together or, you know, adding on to what you've talked about, Iggy, about the psychological safety is like the question of would it make sense, right? Which is very, um, it, it allows for people to kind of join in without this idea of, I'm right or I'm wrong. It's just really kind of questioning things that are going on. So that works for me. And I, I share it with other people, but I'm curious, like in your um, expertise, what are some other strategies that we could use to, you know, create a safe space, not just in our work environment, but also perhaps in our, our learning environment to encourage those people to feel safe to share or just feel safe and comfortable being in a room with, with people trying to solve problems. That's a great question. I would go back to what Abby said about trust. Like trust is such a key little piece to communication, to groups functioning together, to teams working well, to environments being supportive and positive. And I think trust is sort of assumed sometimes in weird ways. And um, I think uh, you talked about getting like a, a new role as a leader. You sort of are, sometimes folks step into a new role and they're like, well, I got this new title. I got this new role. I'm the boss now. I just got to do what I got to do. You know, and they people sort of blast into things a little bit um, without taking time to understand what changes has hap have happened. You know, sometimes, you know, someone gets promoted up through the ranks. And so they've been around for a while. They've kind of seen everything. They know how it works. But then they they shift their personality. They shift how they communicate and operate once they get a new title or a new role. Or like, oh, you're now the team lead. You're now whatever. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone suddenly become a huge jerk once they got a promotion. And you're like, what is your deal? Like, we're still, aren't we friends? And they, they're actively destroying the trust on that team because they suddenly think they need to act in a different way or act like a leader, whatever this means. And it can be a huge mess. But to build trust, you actually need to spend time being consistent and interacting, getting to know people, being aware of them. And so building trust is really what is the core of that psychological safety and the core of the space where people can they can trust it. You know, if you say there's no dumb questions, and then every time someone asks a question, you're like, what are you doing? You know, like, obviously, you're not going to it's not going to fare well over time. You just need to be consistent and yeah, connect your words with your actions. There's just really simple ways to build trust. And again, it becomes nuanced for different people. But acting like you value people is important. Prime putting building trust and building respect as really priorities for yourself, I think are hugely important. Respect showing respect in ways that are meaningful to other people matters a ton. And being there, being present, being consistent between your words, your actions, and your intent, both. All those things help build trust. Can I ask, um, one of the things I've worked on with, especially some of my female friends who I've worked with, um, a lot of times when we're trying to make people comfortable, we like we give too much. Um, and we've worked on trying to say, you're heard. I appreciate that you brought it to me, but I don't agree. And that process of being able to say like, you can still build trust with somebody, even if you say like, we're not going to be able to do what you want, or we don't agree. Uh, do you yeah. have any advice for how to, how to work through those? Yeah. Without boundaries, you have no trust, like flat out. Like if you are just being walked over all the time, if so, you know, when, uh, people come to you, Daniel, and they're like, well, we should try this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, did you trust that they had any good judgment whatsoever? You're like, no, they're just going to agree with me the whole time. There was no, they had no boundary for what you had, you know, what you were offering them. They just agreed, agreed, agreed. And the same is true for folks that they, they don't agree. They don't want to agree. And I think some of it's personal finding your, what your response is in the moment is a habit, right? And uh, <laughs> there's, a, there was a time 
And in a certain context and situation, someone brings something to me and my response is noted. That's it. End of conversation. I've noted that you said that. I don't like what's going to happen next is probably not what you had to say. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but maybe this isn't the time. This isn't the place for me to get into the reasons for this. And I think the flip side of that is making sure people understand when, where and when they have input and where and when they don't, who is making a decision and who is the person just gathering information. Like, are you gathering information now? Or are we having a vote? Like what's happening right here? I think, and people don't know. And people assume when you're gathering information that you're using that to make a decision. And sometimes you're just surveying the people, right? Like, oh, I'm, I'm looking for ideas on what color we should paint this wall. And someone's like purple. Someone else is like orange. And you're like, I'm going green. And people are like, why did you even ask? You know, people get all worked <laughs> up about it because they, you, they feel like they had some investment because they were asked. And being clear on these things, like, hey, I want your opinion, or here are what my the boundaries are. Here's what we're working on. We're picking this, you know, the color of the wall. We're picking whatever. We're doing something together. Or I'm going to be the one making the decisions. I was once on a hiring committee, and there were three of us on this little committee. We're trying to find a new person to fill a role. And the boss, the executive director was like, I'm going to take all your input, but I'm going to make the final decision. And I, at the first, I was like, oh, my gosh, you jerk. Listen to me. Then I'm like, oh, well, that's actually your job. Cool. Now I know what my role is, that I'm here to offer my opinion, offer my view, but I actually don't have a vote in this, weirdly, but that's fine. You know, like, whatever it is. Like, but he was clear. I didn't love it, whatever. But if you're not clear and don't have those boundaries, I could call him up tomorrow and be like, why didn't you pick the person I wanted? I was really excited about, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not relevant. Because he was clear. He had a boundary. He, well, I knew what was going to happen. And I think you're right. I think this is often uh, women in the workplace often are like, well, I need to be accepting. I need to be open. I don't want to be viewed as too harsh or too this or too that. And you can never win by trying not to be something. You can only win by trying to be the best at who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, I love that. Another example, because yeah. quite frankly, I know a lot of people that do this. Well, hey, um, hey, we're going to go ahead and get all this input from everybody because I really want the team's input. That in the it, it, and they don't say it then like I'm gonna make the decision anyway, right? Um, it becomes so disingenuous to the point where I don't even want to participate in this because it's so phony. Like you know, fool me once, shame on me. Uh, fool, shame on you. Uh, uh, George Bush, help me out. Fool, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like, I get it. You're just asking for feedback. And I've got work to do. You're going to make the decision that you want anyway. So just make the decision and yeah. I'm going to be okay with it. Right. It also creates an environment where you kind of become suspicious of why are you even asking? Am I supposed to be giving a certain answer? Am I not understanding the real exercise here? Um, and that can be yeah. really detrimental. And I think there's times when you're just looking for new ideas. Like, hey, I want 12 ideas for what we could, what you know, how we could do this thing. Great. Tell me you're just looking for ideas. Like, don't tell me, don't imply that my my input's really valuable and important. You know, people, I get a, we're part of organizations where they send out a survey constantly and they're like, your input really matters. I'm like, does it? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Well, if they did something with it, then that'd be great. Um, we were re-watching Ted Lasso. Anybody here watch Ted Lasso? So they had the suggestion box. And in the suggestion box was the um, the water pressure is not good. So they fixed the water pressure. And immediately they made huge impact on the team. Like I said something that was a problem and you address the problem immediately. I feel valued enough where I can go ahead and go deeper on the other problems that we may be having as a team that are bigger than the water pressure in the shower. So I think that that's a really good point to put out as well. 
Yeah, hugely trust building for sure to like address like the obvious elephants in the room. And they can Speaking be awkward of- and uncomfortable and people avoid them. So that gets <laughs> right? worse. Speaking of the elephants, occasionally we get um, garbage behavior and it just continues and continues. So like, do you have any strategies or suggestions for, for individuals that may be putting up with, say, garbage behavior uh, in a team scenario or in a learning scenario? I mean, how do I, um, without, you know, a lot of us are like, rage quit, right? So that's an option. We just go ahead and rage quit out the room, but I'm sure there are more productive ways of dealing with it. If you share some of that with us, that'd be great. Sure, sure. There's this, uh, you just saying rage quit made me think of this book, great book called Don't Shoot the Dog, which is literally about training dogs. And they talk about like sort of nine ways to shift behavior in an animal, uh, non-human animal. And they actually work for humans too, but whatever. And like one way is if you don't like what the dog is doing, you can shoot the dog. The dog will never do that thing again. You're done. I'm like, and so that's the title of the book, Don't Shoot the Dog. Like you, you have other options, people. You have other options out there. And I think we do encounter garbage behavior sometimes. And part of that, uh, it's fun to label it garbage behavior. And the flip side is what's really happening? Like what's the cause of this behavior? Is there a mismatch of understanding of what we should be doing? Is there a mismatch of understanding of our expectations? Is there a communication breakdown somewhere along the way? I think there's sort of this classic, you know, examples of people really working hard on something and someone else being like, I can't believe you did that. That's the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, like there's just people missed pieces of information and then people become entrenched and um, adults are popular for being really defensive in very creative ways and protecting what they think is their idea or their identity gets wrapped up in who they are and how they're acting. Suddenly you're who, am, who are you as a person because you can't, you know, whatever, do this thing. And I want you to do that thing. And they're the worst person I've ever met. I can't believe they're so mean and they hate everyone. I'm like, dial it back. I think there's probably some miscommunication along the way, like 10 years ago, probably around, well, what do you want to have happen? And if we assume Brene Brown is super popular for assuming people are putting their best effort into things, right? And I think actually Jocko talks about this too. If you assume people are actually giving their best effort and then it doesn't measure up, like that's on you as a leader to either train or change, you know, what's happening with those folks. But if you assume people are doing their best, and I would say if you like back up to assuming people are trying to meet their needs, it could be a mismatch between how they're trying to meet their needs and their behavior or it could be that this is just really an inappropriate way for them to be addressing this need in this you know, situation. If someone has a really big power need and you really need them to be a team player and they're like, keep enacting behaviors to like sort of derail the team because they want to make change happen. They want attention. They want someone to recognize their power in this team space. And you're like, whoa, we just need to together do this, you know, get from here across the lake, quit yelling at me and try to enact this power need. Like, you know, classically in some venues, you'd say shut up and paddle at this point, right? versus talking to me about it forever. So if people, someone's trying to meet a need in a mismatch way, we need to find other ways to help them meet that need or help them redirect their behavior to meet that need in a better way. So that's where a lot of garbage behavior comes from. Mismatch needs, mismatch expectations, and just flat out miscommunication or misunderstanding. We assume people are mean and angry and aggressive, when in reality, I think a lot of the time they just literally don't know. I worked for a great leader years ago, and um, there's another guy on the team, and we just like, we never got along. It was a personality thing. He did good work. I did good work. But when we worked on projects, like the project would get derailed because like, we just didn't like each other. And my leader, when we would go to her and be like, I just can't work with him. She's like, listen, like you guys are going to have to work on the same projects. Like that's just reality. We're all adults, but let's figure out like why you guys don't get along and try and remove opportunities for those things to come up. So like, if you guys don't do well sitting in a room together, let's work through email. If you can't um, talk about like 
the graphic design of something without like going to blows. Let's make somebody the decision maker and leave it and leave it at that. So that was a great learning opportunity for me because she was like, it it's about getting the work done. You guys don't have to like each other. Just find ways to not fight. <laughs> One of the things that I know that you do really, really well is this um, idea of getting people together to work through problems and find solutions, right? In a productive way. And um, you, you, you're referring to that as a mastermind. And I think that the term mastermind has kind of gone all over the place. It's right up there with sales enablement. Like everybody wants it, but no one really can put their finger on what it is or how we do it. Could you talk a little bit about how you feel about masterminds, what they are, why they're important, and some of the things that you're doing uh, in the community to help people get better? Absolutely. I think you really hit it. Everything is a mastermind because it's really a cool thing to say. And there's a huge spectrum of what people call a mastermind. And I would say at one end of the spectrum are sort of networking groups. And you're like, oh, this is a networking mastermind. I'm like, okay. And there's sort of educational masterminds. So we're in the middle. And I tend to skew way toward this other end of transformational masterminds. So it's a small group of people. And to me, small group is in the neighborhood of four meeting for a significant amount of time over time. And so not just for like, 10 minutes. So four people, my format is we meet for two hours every other week and for a year. So not, this is not a, you know, Hey, we're done. We did a training. We're out of here. And it really focuses on that, how that group coheres together and works together, builds trust together. And suddenly they can not suddenly eventually, or maybe suddenly, maybe both folks can engage in a really deep and meaningful level and deep and meaningful way to address these things that are helping people shift to become really wise leaders. And for me, it's about leadership. How, how do you address that emotional intelligence for you personally, in your context, in your situation, in your work, in your life, wherever you are at with that? What does psychological safety look like for you in your job, with your team, with your people? And so to get into those issues, it takes time. And to make shifts takes time. And so I find masterminds are the perfect format based on you have your experience and you, it provides us really deep, transformative, reflective time for then people to transfer that learning back to their experience again and keep moving forward. So I love the format of masterminds. I think they are the way for people to get transformational change in their leadership, which really transforming your leadership doesn't really, you're like, cool, that's amazing. High five for everyone. But really the effect is how your team functions around you, how your organization works, how people react to you and how you react to them. And those are the more subtle nuanced pieces that make people stay in jobs, make jobs more productive, make people, you know, happier, right? So how do we gauge happiness? I think it, effective leadership is one way to make everyone happy, happier within an organization or within a team. And when's the right time for somebody to like become involved in that? I mean, we think about sending people to programs like the outdoors adventures you were talking about where, where like you teach people how to row and, and it gives them opportunities, but we think about it as being something when you're experiencing problems, but is that, I mean, can good leaders still have room to grow? Right. And how do you find like, first, how do you have that conversation where you go, you're already a great leader, but I'm willing to invest in you versus I think you need to go to this leadership program. And sure. that's a great question. I think the leaders I talk with, I think they're already doing, they're already leading, right? They already have the job, the title, they're already doing something often and they they want better outcomes, right? And so we can always look at outcomes, improving outcomes. It's easier to say than to say, wait, but I'm actually kind of a crappy leader. I need to fix that. But cool, I'll, I can protect your ego. You are all great leaders. And is would you say your workplace is not non-toxic? Mm, 
okay, great. Maybe we can work on that a little bit. I think these problems people encounter, would you say people just bring you compl- like complaints and problems all day and you're just bogged down with complaints and problems? That has something to do with your leadership too. Would you, know, would you say that your team is amazingly creative, amazingly effective, amazingly you know, innovative? Okay, if there's room to grow there, I can help you with that through your leadership. So a lot of it is, for me, looking finding people who are um, often in this sort of state of thinking about how can we do better at whatever it is we're doing. And so much of that boils down to leadership. I think there's rebranding is really popular, right? Where we're like, hey, we're going to freshen up these colors and make a new logo and everything's going to be beautiful. Great. I think making this change external is cool and amazing and go for it. But what's happening inside to support this new vision? What's happening internally? And so having those conversations, um, they become much more personal conversations. And a year is not it's not going to happen fast. You're not going to make these subtle, these changes tomorrow. And people do learn a tool. They do learn new ways to do things. They do learn a, you know, a tip or a tool or whatever, and can apply that instantly, right? I can, we can talk about problem solving. I can give you a three-step process. Here you go. Good luck. But to see how you use it, how you, what happens with that, what, how it works over time. Wait, what about this situation? It t- turned out a little weird. This person, it was amazing, but this person, it didn't, you know, what's going on? So all that deeper level of introspection is where a mastermind comes through and finding people who are looking for these for better outcomes flat out are the people that are perfect for a leadership mastermind. Great. Here's the million dollar question. I want to grow. I want to get better. How do I find one? Where, where, where do I start? Like if I don't, like one of the questions I asked, you know, over the holiday with people like, Hey, how's uh cause we're all going through a lot of the same stuff. And so how's your external network? Uh, I don't have one. Right. Well, how do I get one? How do I get involved? Help our under, audience understand like how they can find these opportunities to learn meet amazing people and grow. I have two ways directly for that. I host a monthly leadership ecosystem lunch. So I bring together leaders and leadership curious, which has been by putting leadership curious on the, you know, the blurb of this, I found I've connected with some amazing people. This kid, I believe was 14. Someone said she was 12. I think she was 14, showed up and crushed it. She's like, yeah, I'm in the leadership at my school. And I came, I saw your lunch thing listed on Eventbrite. So I came and she was amazing and dove in. So I bring together leaders to, to really work on a problem solving tool. And it's a much more playful, conversational kind of fun method. So if you want a quick hit of Connection with other leaders, problem solving. Not everyone is 12. Most people are, in fact, at least twice as old as that, if not older. That's one way. And on the flip side, I host I host leadership masterminds. That's what I do. That's the core of my business. And because they take a year, you have to sort of get on the bus at the right time, right? It's not, there's not, it's an, I can't add people in in the middle because it is this core of evolving and changing. And I'll be starting up another bunch in January. So new year, new leadership mastermind. People can launch with me then if they are interested. And I would love to, right now I don't have all the, I don't have the application up yet. I have to get people to apply to make sure they're a good fit, make sure what they know they're getting into. It's not a passive thing. It's very actively involved and you have to be actively engaged to be a part of a mastermind. So finding the right fit and the right people is really important to me. But if you come to my lunch or my website, wslleadership.com, you can connect with me and I can make sure that you will know as soon as that stuff is ready to roll. This has been fantastic. I'm so glad you made time to come on and join us. And, uh, you know, we've talked about like leadership with, with other people, but just that, to have you come on and just really get into the nitty gritty, especially about that EQ part is fantastic. You know, Iggy, are there some things that you would really love to impart to our audience that you didn't have an opportunity to talk to um, today. Like what are, what are some final thoughts from you before we kind of wrap things up? 
I think no matter what it is you're working on or working through, you can make it better. I would just say unqualified optimism and or hope and or positivity around you can make positive change happen. Even if you're at the bottom, you know, rung of the ladder right now or, or at the top, you can still make it better. So wherever you are, you can be a leader fundamentally and make positive things, positive change happen around you. Love that. That's fantastic. Iggy, thank you so much. You were a great guest. And it got even better after the uh, roller derby chat. I, I'm absolutely, um, that that's great. Not everybody can do that, but of course you pull it off. And uh, thank you so much. Folks, if you check the show notes, you're going to get a whole bunch of ways that you can go ahead and connect with Iggy. She mentioned her masterminds and her luncheon. Um, even if those 12-year-olds that are listening to us, for sure, come on and join that. That'd be great. Um, you'll find all of that in the show notes. That's great. And thank you so much for your time today, Iggy. That's fantastic. Daniel-san. Yes, Scott. Could you do me a solid and let our audience know how they can connect with us? Absolutely. All right, party people, if you haven't already, hit us up at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Join in the discussion. Let's try that again. Let's do a pickup. (laughs) All right. All right, party people, if you haven't already, hit us up at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us any questions you might have. Join in on the discussion. Tell us how your turkey day went. Tell us what your holiday plans are. We're dying to know. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. And lastly, for all you Instagram party people, Fab Learning Nerds. Scott. Hey, folks, that's going to wrap things up for us today. Do me a favor. Could you just go ahead and hit that subscribe button? Share this podcast with your friends. Lots of groovy stuff from Iggy and all of our guests there. We really appreciate it. If you're capturing this uh, podcast on a podcatcher like iTunes or just leave us a review. We'd love to hear how we're doing. We'd love to improve the show. But most importantly, it allows us to get this information out to more people. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. I'm Iggy. And we're your fabulous learning and we are out. Hey there, this is Scott. This is Dan. And this is Abby. And we just want to take a few minutes as we go into these holidays to thank all the guests who've sat down with us this year. You've really inspired us. I think you've really inspired a lot of our audience. And we just want to say thank you. And from all the fabulous nerds, we wish you and yours happy holidays. Happy holidays from the nerds. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention. Meet with teachers. Make up work get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.